official press YYZ spoiler cast of Final Fantasy VII Remake, also known as Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm your host for tonight, Alexander Kazina. I'm joined today by Mitch George. I'm ready for all the Final Fantasies. And Alexander Ballant. Remake should be in quotes with this game. <laughs> I mean, I would say that there's uh, a lot of stuff that is a remake of the original Final Fantasy. I wouldn't disagree in saying that it very much is taking this game that we previously knew and revitalizing it. Would you, like, to get serious for a second here and to kind of just jump right into things, do you think that the term remake is or is not an appropriate term for this game? I don't know. It's a yes and no for me. Uh, This is, I've done, since completing the game, I did a lot of, like, mostly just to kind of understand what happened with the ending, because the (laughs) ending is, for somebody who has no experience with the original in any way, shape, or form, it's a little confusing. Uh, so I did a- one, one, one second. Do we want to try to remain spoiler free for a bit, give our thoughts and then go full spoilers? Or are we full spoilers out of the gate? I mean, we we're calling this a spoiler cast. I don't see why we should be uh, making any butts about it. If you're here, you're here for spoilers. Okay. So we're saying right off the bat, full of Final Fantasy VII Remake spoilers. If you don't want to hear them, come back later. This episode is meant to be listened to whenever you feel like consuming it. Yes, indeed. But yeah, the the ending's very confusing. So I took a lot of time to understand it. Um, And I've, in some ways, I've spoiled myself on Final Fantasy VII, the game traditionally, just trying to understand it. And I, I, as soon as I learned that, oh, the ending is actually completely different to how it ends normally when they leave Midgard, I kind of thought, oh, then at this point I can kind of throw everything that happened in the Final Fantasy VII proper out the window, and I'm okay with exper- with like knowing what that is, because I'm never going to play that game. I really don't think I'm ever right. going to go back and play it, so I'm okay with knowing that with the idea that a lot of this will be different. Yeah, so I figure that that's a good segue to kind of talk about our experiences with Final Fantasy VII as well. In my case, um, I had very little experience with the Final Fantasy series proper. In fact, the only other numerical Final Fantasy game that I had beaten prior to this one was Final Fantasy XIII, which, um, spoilers... Which part? uh, The first part. Uh, I'm going to actually talk a little bit on the upcoming numerical episode of Press YYZ, but I'll move away from that for the time being. Um, and I had enjoyed it there, but obviously that didn't have me falling in love with the series. I did enjoy the Kingdom Hearts series uh, in the intervening years, but I feel like that's very much a different beast. Um, and nonetheless, I always had a pretty fond admiration for the world of Final Fantasy VII. It seemed like a cool cyberpunk dystopian world that i wanted to be a part of but i'd always hesitated to uh try out the game even as it became easier and easier over time to play it what with all the like various mods and you know functionalities that allow you to speed up text and battles that have been released in the years since um nonetheless i did spoil myself to a fair bit of the game so going into this experience i already kind of knew beat for beat what was going to go on and what was going to happen, but I was still thoroughly entertained and riveted the whole time. I have never, I have played 20 minutes 
of Final Fantasy X on the Switch. Hmm. That is my experience with this series. The closest I've gotten are the Kingdom Hearts games. And yeah. honestly, comparing 7 Remake to Kingdom Hearts is honestly the closest comparison that I drew in terms of a gaming experience that felt at least mechanically similar to this game. Right. But it this game felt to me the way I wanted Kingdom Hearts to play. Okay. But I'm very... So I went into this knowing... One major spoiler yeah, related too. to Final Fantasy VII. I think that is literally that. the probably, yeah, as it has been memed out of relevance at this point, unfortunately. But that is really all I knew about this game going into it. I didn't know much about the characters outside of what I had seen in Kingdom Hearts and in random weird corners of the internet we aren't going to talk about right now. So I was really pleased with my time with this game. I went into it at launch, not knowing very much, knowing people were excited about it, but not really knowing why. And hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, as a huge Kingdom Hearts fan, I'm, I've been a little bit frustrated in the lead up to uh, this game's release. People saying, oh man, Kingdom Hearts walked so Final Fantasy th uh, 7 Remake could run. Like, I, I'm somebody who enjoyed Kingdom Hearts 3 quite a bit, and I think that uh, it's in many ways underrated, but I don't disagree that I, this is the stronger game. I think that everything about it from its cinematics to its battle system is better. Uh, and I like, I, I know some people would really uh, disdain at the thought of it, but I do think that if you want to get into the Final Fantasy series, this is a more than perfect entry point to it. I mean, it was without a doubt my entry point in it like full stop because i had never i've never played a kingdom hearts game i've only seen the outside of just how ridiculously bombastic that story is and because of that it completely deterred me and the only reason i bought this game was because of the demo that they released on the playstation store after i played it i just the combat the how it felt to play as cloud was amazing and i i was in at that point and this really was i enjoyed every well almost every second of this game um we'll get into some of the things we didn't quite there, like later. They're, they're actually saying it out loud there are quite a bit of moments that i think were a little a little not so great but i think overall the package is great and it is a really good entry point it made me want to get final fantasy 15 and it's on game pass on pc and i've genuinely thought about installing it uh, final fantasy 9 i think is coming to game pass as well this month so you can yeah. always check that out i think we talked about that on in an episode of press yyz proper I, I know nathan talks about how that is his favorite and so that's also kind of one that i've thought about when that does come to install it but they're going to be it's going to be a very different experience from what you get with final fantasy 7 like yeah it does feel to me like and i don't know too much about the newer entries in the final fantasy series i know they've moved to more of an action rpg system similar to this but like i said this plays a lot more than what i remember like what i remember kingdom hearts being than a traditional rpg which i really appreciated and i'm with you that them releasing that demo was so smart yeah because there are probably a ton of people that are just like oh final fantasy there's so much history there's so much baggage with this series that why would i jump in at this point that's a remake of a 20 year old game and a series that has 15 games and 17 spinoffs and all these crazy i'm that is a random number do not quote me on that <laughs> but it, it it was just so smart of them to give people a way to be like no this is different this is something new it's fresh 
It feels phenomenal mechanically, like Cozy said earlier. And I loved every minute of playing this game. Full stop. So, you know, I've been thinking uh, over the past few minutes how we should go about tackling everything in the game. Inevitably, we're going to spiral out of control and just go down tangents and side lanes and whatnot. But I yep. figured that it wouldn't hurt to try and go chapter by chapter. And by that, I don't mean like literally we will be... <laughs> we're not we spoiling the game one, chapter by what chapter. we think of chapter two, but m more kind of generally like chapters in terms of the overall acts of the game. So let's talk about the beginning of the game, which I interpret as the destruction of the first Mako reactor up until the basically you return to Cloud's homestead in the sector beneath the plate and get to meet up with the gang. What did you guys like? Were you riveted right off the bat or did it take some time for you guys to get into it? I would say the game opens immediately super strong it's the presentation of this game is un it's uncontested in how amazing the presentation of it is and i think like having this objective of oh you need to blow up the the reactor and it teaches you how to play through the game and you start getting little challenges and then ending that whole chapter with or that whole like sort of first act like you were saying with the scorpion boss fight is such a great way to go about it and it was a lot of fun having to have this big it almost feels like this unrelenting challenge um it might not it might not have been that difficult overall but it felt like it in the way that they showed this creature or showed this robot and you having to take it down and so from that oh, yeah. from the get-go i was like okay i'm in they started off super super strong for sure. For me, it was a bit of a double-edged sword playing through the demo because when I started the game proper for the first time, I'm like, okay, I've been here, I've done this. It was playing through a section of the game I already knew yeah. okay. well enough that I didn't really struggle through the first uh, Mako reactor. Are we saying Mako or Mako? How do you got? Which side of the coin do you guys fall so on? This? They say the thing Mako. Is, is that going by the Japanese pronunciation, it would be Mako or right. Mako. So I mean, I'm I'm gonna go with Mako just because pronunciation wise it seems like it would be the most correct i also go mako mostly mine's my reason is not as smart as cozy's it's mostly just because that's how barrett says it in the game when i think about mako i think of like mako tsunami which is a character from early on in Yu-Gi-Oh, and his whole deal is like i'm entirely fish based and it's like all right great you're gonna be <laughs> defeated within the first season and you're never gonna return Hey, that tornado wall was was some other kind of monster. Like you couldn't get through that. I also think of the Mako from Mass Effect. Yeah, you and your goddamn Mass Effects. Hey, man, I gotta bring it up every episode. Every goddamn episode. That and Halo. I'll find a way. And Doom. How are you gonna talk about Doom today? I'll find. I'll find a way. I'll find a way to make <laughs> Doom it. Doom finds a way. Yeah. Anyways, you yeah. were saying. Yeah, I mean, I would fall like Mako from a an English phonetic sense, phonetical sense makes more sense to me than mako but with the reasoning of the japanese pronunciation and how they say it in the game i think i've i was originally mako and i think as the course of the game went on i, I moved over into the mako camp as well mm -hmm. all right i was initially i was saying you uh i was going to ask what your thoughts were on the opening of the game yeah i mean like, like i said it was it was a little i was a little bit let down just because i'd played through the demo content which was the opening of the game I still really okay. enjoyed it. It wasn't until you ended up back in the slums and you got a bit of this character development and the 
the banter between characters and that sort of got fleshed out a little bit more that I'm like, oh, I'm really going to like these characters. I see. Like, I really started to feel invested in what they were doing. Cloud's, you know, weird, you know, personality of just like, no, I don't care. Like, whatever. It, it's just a job. And that definitely changes over the course of the game, which I really liked his character development. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it, it's definitely cheesy. It's super yeah. cheeseball, which I mean was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed the opening, and it, it only got better from there for me. Except for a couple of levels, a couple of the chapters, the ones with m- the majority of the side missions. Yeah, that stuff kind of dragged on a little longer than I I would have enjoyed it. I but... mean, uh, so you know, we're gonna get to that in a second. I want to say yeah. with regards to the opening chapters of the game that I was uh, surprised in a good way at how challenging the Scorpion boss was right off the bat. I feel like a, a lot of video games present players with uh, boss enemies that, in essence, are meant to uh, kind of test everything that they've learned up until they first challenge that boss. And going into this game, I was uh, expecting that the Scorpion boss would be challenging, but not overly challenging. And as a result, I was kind of taken aback by just how much it kicked my teeth in. And I walked away from that being like, wow, I am so profoundly impressed that this game has the balls to really kind of, you know, uh, trust in your ability to kind of use everything that it's taught you up until this point to kind of make your way through the battle. I feel like so few games sort of put that kind of trust in you. And it, it, while obviously it was frustrating in the moment, uh, it did definitely, uh, how to say, like it, 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 it struck me as a good premonition of things to come in the game during these first few chapters. Yeah, it also does a good job of not holding your hand through some of these fights where I know I, I tuned into you streaming the, the that boss fight on Twitch. Mm-hmm. And it's not super clear right off the bat that yes, you just you you need to spam that lightning materia and that that thunder spell any chance you got. I think, and it does a good job of just letting you make those mistakes and correcting it as you go along, which I really appreciated about the game. I think though that that is kind of a double edged sword because there are some things that I think this game has a problem with the way that it does tutorials, where it gives you tutorials for things that really are basic like you do not need to know that these are and the fact that it the way that they do tutorials is it stops it's you're gonna hate me it's like how doom eternal does tutorials where it stops you were gonna figure it out eventually i know uh i did it just because you said that i was going to um but yeah like i set it, you up and you knock him out of the park it stops everything that you're doing and tells you this is how you like go to the box and press triangle and you can open it. And it's like, do I need, can it not just tell me that in the corner? Like, does it need to stop everything that is happening to tell me a very simple tutorial like that? But then things like things like the magic is like, I don't know. Maybe I just didn't read the tutorial for it, which is entirely possible, (laughs) but there was a certain point where it's like, there's something I didn't learn that you could parry in the game until the final boss. I'm not kidding. That was definitely in that opening level. So that was you yeah. skipping through everything because yeah. you thought you knew everything. It's also, I think it's, I think the problem was that like the, they start with the super, super basic stuff. And then I'm thinking, oh, okay. I kind of, I know what I'm doing already. I can skip through the tutorials and then I miss very key information. So I think, I think that was, and I, that's clearly on me, but I think that that is still, they could have tackled that a little bit more intuitively to allow it so that maybe that key information doesn't get missed. 
again, okay, that could I mean, be me. I, I was not... Uh, I did not mind the excessive amount of tutorials too much. It was definitely a stylistic choice on their part, because, yeah, some of the things that they presented in the game definitely could have been presented without the need for a tutorial to pop up on screen. But after a certain point, I just kind of settled down in my chair. I'm like, yeah, this is this is the game's, <laughs> this is an artistic choice being made. And I just kind of accept it as is. I actually think it may be more than an artistic choice. I think it was actually more of a choice based around accessibility. Because if you think about the way this game functions mechanically, even when you're in your menus and you're doing things in combat, the game doesn't come to a full stop. It's sort of this action system where everything slows down to a crawl and you can choose your actions and use them as you want. It's actually good from an accessibility standpoint that the game just stops and says, hey, read this, you need to know this, and then lets you get back to the action. Because if you're somebody that has, let's say, um, a motor or a vision disability, it may be difficult for you to both read some any any prompts that might come up to try and teach you to do these things like you had suggested, Alex, and mm -hmm. instead say, no, stop, these are the ways our system works, and that will help you understand the way that this game functions mechanically. As we move into the later chapters of the game, you have far fewer of those tutorials, right. and it's kind of good that they get them out of the way off the bat and really do slow down the action to give you a chance to learn it. So earlier, Mitch, you brought up a lot of the side questing in this game. Let's oh, move yeah. on to the kind of next chapter. And again, I'm not... When I say chapter, I'm not referring to the chapters that there are in this game. I'm referring more to the acts that I divide this game up to up in my head. The kind of portion of this game where you kind of just get to explore the Sector 7 slums. And the game kind of becomes a pseudo-Yakuza game where you're asked to do a lot of odd jobs for the, citizen of the citizens of the slums. You say that you weren't super fond of this stuff. So I wasn't fond of it because... I was trying to go through and do a completionist run of this game. So I was okay. trying to clear out all the side quests, all the collectibles, all the major stuff that's tied to trophy progression on my first playthrough so that when I go back to do a hard mode playthrough to complete the platinum, I don't have to do any of that. Mm -hmm. So from that respect, there were a few times where it's just like, oh God, it's like, okay, I, I beat the game in about a week. I put 40 hours into my first playthrough and there were some times where it's like 11, 12 at night. I'm just like, I want this to end so I can go to bed, but I'm not doing it while I'm in the middle of this mission to kill some were-rat or whatever the heck I'm trying to murder so that people feel safe in the slums or whatever it might end up being. And it's like, I enjoyed the mechanics of all of the side missions. There wasn't anything I felt was like too egregious when it came to, you know, go to from point A, point B, complete some objective. It was fine. There was just a lot of them in a few key chapters in the story. And I felt like that took me out of the main story, which I'm hoping for my hard mode playthrough, since I'm going to skip past all of that, I'm going to feel like it is a more cohesive uh, narrative thread throughout, as opposed to taking me out of it to complete these side quests. The like, Oh God, go ahead. Uh, oh, I, was... I feel like myself and Mitch have talked a lot for the past two minutes. Okay. I, so well, I don't want to deprive you. My biggest, my biggest problem I would say with the, um, the side quests is a problem that kind of I feel like persists through a lot of the game is Mitch you were saying that like the game took you 40 hours to complete on your first playthrough it took me about 30 and that's because uh, by the time that I reached the third I think it was the third area where you have like all the side quests I gave up because they were kind of 
This game has a problem with filler. There's a lot of filler all throughout the game that just kind oh, yeah. of extends the runtime quite significantly. And you can also see where the production value was put in and where it wasn't because all of the side quests feel very, very... Samey? Yeah, they feel samey and they also feel kind of cheap. And I don't... That's not... A, I don't know if that's a fair word to say because... But, like, it's just, there's so much production value in the rest of the game and the way it's presented itself. But then when you have to do all these side quests, it just, it feels like it's just, what's the point of them other than to just extend the runtime and to get XP? That's all it felt there like is, to me. I will say there is one exception to that. I agree with everything you said, Alex. The one exception to that is the uh, narrative thread through a number of the side quests around the Angel of the Slums. Okay, see, I, I must have missed that. Wait, is was that the person who steals everything and then is like the Robin yes. Hood? Type Robin thing? Hood, steal from okay. the rich, give to the poor okay. kind of I deal. I did like most of those, but even then I just kind of was like, I want to continue with the story because the main story I'm so much more invested in and these missions are just not engaging like the rest of the chapter, but uh, I, like the rest I did of like, the game. I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, it, it did take you away from the narrative, but I felt like it had enough of its own narrative, you know, driver to it that i didn't feel like i was losing out by completing some of those side missions those are some of my favorites okay and there is a payoff at the end if you do complete all of them you do get um like oh i think it was a letter from the angel of the slums and some materia that i'm forgetting cozy please help me because i feel like you got it too i don't know man (laughs) there's a lot of stuff there for sure okay but it's uh so those were a lot of fun to play through but let me see if I can find it while you guys talk some more. Okay. Well, I just want to say that I actually completely disagree with both of you guys. I actually really enjoyed uh, all of the... Well, not... I'm All is a strong word, but I generally in, enjoyed a lot of these side quests in this game. I feel like I've played so many role-playing games and games of this nature over the year where all of these side quests just get followed back into the deepest, darkest reaches of my mind. And for whatever reason... I feel like every single side quest that I took on in this game felt memorable in some fashion. I'm not saying that they were the most memorable parts of the game as a whole, but I enjoyed them so much more than I was expecting to, personally. So the reward for completing all the side quests, and I think it was chapter 14, where there's a bunch of side quests towards the end, you get a letter from the Angel of the Slums and the second elemental material, or materia, which is huge. All right. Okay. Did you did you not find either of the elemental materia, Alex? What are the elemental materia? So there were like I, there I, were I, two of them, right? And they're essentially if you link them to another materia in like two adjacent slots that have connectivity, you basically imbue all of your attacks or can defend yourself from whatever element you slot with it. So you slot it I next to a fire materia on your that. weapon. You do extra fire damage. You slot it in on your your um, your what's the other piece of equipment that you can slot things into like the shields and the stuff yeah yeah you know the, de- you, the defensive slots then you, you can know. essentially you can either negate some or completely become immune to some type whatever element you slot in there so there are some boss fights where let's say they use mostly fire attacks you slot in a fire materia on your defensive gear next to an elemental materia and you're set you don't have to worry about any of that damage that would have been really handy in the final chapter they're super handy Uh, that's why you had to make sure to get them gushing about side quests like i i feel like (laughs) one of the 
good things about the side quests in this game is that overall I felt that there were not an excessive amount of them. I think that I think there's maybe a sum total of like 30 35 does that number sound right to you guys yeah i it wasn't it doesn't sound, i don't think it was that many it, it there wasn't was a ton that's there were, for sure i think there were three chapters with the side quest and there was maybe seven ish seven to eight probably in each of those so again i'm not gonna 20 i'm not gonna say that they're my they were my favorite part of the game but i feel like there's a version of this game that could have had a glut of side quests that became incredibly monotonous and repetitive and were completely throwaway and forgettable. And instead, I feel like they focused on a relatively small amount of quests that each kind of helped flesh out the world in a small but substantial way. And I appreciated their presence for that reason. For the most part, I do agree with you. The only... Me, you know, getting tired of them was more so a, a factor of me playing through those chapters at the time that I was. So like dragging that out into the night being like, just, and it was one of those things where I wanted to finish it. Cause it's just like, just one more side quest, just one more story beat, whatever it might be, just one more chapter. And that led to some, you know, one, 2am nights of playing this game. And I loved every minute of it, but you know, sleep is also important. <laughs> so moving on after we get to explore the sector seven slums and help out people here and there, uh, we get a mission back up topside where we get to visit Jesse's mom for some pizza. And then after that, we join up with Tifa and Barrett to blow up the Mako Reactor 5. Uh, I'm kind of pushing all these sections of the game together and overall it makes for a pretty decent chunk of the game. But I feel like, I don't know, like I feel like across the board, they're all pretty similar kind of gameplay wise and in terms of how restricted you are in terms of uh, where you have to go. What did you think about this section of the game? Well, this section does introduce one very key difference that you hadn't had up until that point, and it's with the motorcycle, which is just gonna yeah. say, yeah. such an awesome set piece throughout it. And when you fight against, what was the, the guy's name that you fight? Roche. What was it? Putting us on the spot here. Roche. Roche. He was so Roche. much fun to go against and just like, the him like his extreme attitude and he wanting to like he finally found a challenge that uh, somebody who can actually challenge him it was such a fun set piece that i had a, a really good time with it and i think this game has a real problem with every single thing you need to do has to have its own little mechanic to it that i thought like at a certain point there were some things where it's like okay this is kind of getting a little bit it added to the the filler uh, problem that I that I was talking about, but this wasn't one of those moments. Like I loved getting to drive the motorcycle and everything that came with that. The the one caveat I have about I love that as well. I agree with you. Getting through that and only taking I think it was eighty percent damage to unlock a trophy. Oh, okay. So took far more tries than I was I would care to admit. See, I wasn't. Even I ended paying up attention just, at that point for the trophies. If they came, they came. But see, I could see I, how that. Yeah, I, I I realized that this is a game that as soon as I played the demo, I'm like, oh, this is a game I need to know everything about. I need to get this platinum, and I'm very close. Um, I think I just have to finish. So we, we can talk about trophies in a bit. But to, to get that, I actually ended up jacking the difficulty down to easy just so that I could get through it taking less damage, which helped. Um, so yeah, if that was just a little more attainable, it would have been nice because you have, you have to have a nice conversation with Jesse if you do get through that. And I feel like what she says in that scenario is a lot 
more character building than what she says if you take more damage than what unlocks the trophy. So I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that not everyone's going to get that specific story beat. Wait, but that's just wait, a little nitpicking. Wait, so she says different things if you complete it a different way? Like if you take yeah, if you damage? can if you complete it only taking a certain amount of damage, she's like, "Wow, you're amazing. You're my hero. I love you so." Or she doesn't get to that extent, but just yeah. a lot of playful banter. And I'm sure we'll get into this conversation later. But Jesse is best girl, and that conversation definitely solidified it for me when I actually did get that part of it. That I mean, character building was very important to me when it came to my feelings about Jesse in the game. I mean, considering that she's dead at the end, you could all, it's totally fair to say that she's the best girl. You know, who she was is totally crystallized and she could never has the capacity to change anymore and sour. You're a terrible person. The only change she's making it's true, is her decaying in the ground. <sighs> we don't know that for sure. We'll get into that later. We don't know for sure, goddammit. Uh, this whole section of the game, uh, them journeying up to um, Jesse's, uh, uh, the, the house of Jesse's mother and father, it reminded me a lot of watching a solid 12 or 24 episode anime where usually during kind of the first few episodes of the show, you'll have an episode that is pretty definitively a filler episode. There isn't a whole lot of stuff that's going on that's significantly advancing the plot, but it's still well written it's still entertaining and it's still kind of enhancing and further fleshing out the characters and the journey that you're on and that's entirely how i felt at the, this point i can totally see some people looking at it cynically and saying ah oh, this is um filler this is whatever you want to call it i personally am like if this is how filler if this is filler i'm perfectly fine with it see this it might be, yeah, you could consider it filler, but this isn't what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the the filler of the game. This I, did have, like... Yeah, for and the I, record, I, I, I oh. think that there are other parts that are also fillery that are not as good. I'm just yeah. saying this part, if people want to call this filler, I'm perfectly fine with that because I yeah, really like, enjoyed it. This was, a, this was such a great moment, and this is where you really start to get to see Cloud start to open up a little bit more to the rest of the characters and you get to start to see the character development of him. So I really liked this chapter a lot. I thought this was a really great and everything with Jesse and her family, when you get to, when you see her dad for the first time and that shock of, Oh, he's like, he's comatose and all of that, like all of the implications that that means uh, and how Jesse's been kind of lying to her mom to not telling her that she's an avalanche. It's, all of that stuff was really good character stuff that I liked quite a bit in the game. Yeah, I, I, I think the best thing that it, I think honestly think Roche being introduced in this chapter is really good for Cloud's character development, honestly, because when you're getting into this, it's like there is this mystique around, oh, what is a soldier? Why is everyone making such a big deal out of the fact that Cloud was a soldier? And meeting Roche and knowing he's also a soldier and the fact that he's, for a lack of a better term, back crap crazy kind of adds to the whatever decision making went into cloud deciding to leave that life behind for the life of a mercenary in terms of what would it do to his psyche we do get these mako flashbacks and these weird visions and like how is it messed with him psychologically it's it's this is our first big introduction to okay there is a bigger world built outside of this small avalanche story and i can't wait until we get more of that flushed out uh, after that, the Mako Reactor 5 mission with Tifa and Barrett, 
obviously I enjoy this part of the game because we finally get to see the Holy Trinity or whatever Trinity you want to call them in action. I also appreciated that we really start to see kind of Barrett's uh, macho kind of uh, facade begin to break and we get to learn, oh, you're afraid of heights. Oh, you kind of are a bit of a softy in some ways. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, as soon as you're introduced to Marlene, I'm like, oh, I'm going to like this character. I'm yeah. really going to like Barrett because you know that everything he's doing is motivated by trying to build a better life for his daughter. And that really resonates with me just, you know, as someone who cares about people. So I, wanted, I really appreciated that. I wanted to ask. So I love Barrett's character and like the, yeah, the macho facade that he has. And he's kind of a big softy on the inside, uh, as well as Tifa and her relationship with Cloud. And I... But when it comes to having them all together in a chapter and getting to play as all of them, did anyone else find Barrett really not that fun to play as? Like, Tifa is actually pretty enjoyable because of her brawler nature, but I felt like with Barrett, it was just hold down the square button until you have the triangle ability, use the triangle ability, and then just switch to anyone else. Like, I just, I don't know. Uh, Barrett was never really that much fun to play as in comparison to Cloud, and so I'd always try to avoid it as much as possible. Uh, just what did you guys uh, think about playing as the other characters? I guess is kind of how I'll phrase that. I, I mean, I, I think that at the end of the day, Cloud is probably still my favorite, but I actually got a lot of enjoyment out of Barrett and Aerith. Obviously, I appreciated both their characters because they could attack remotely and I could keep my distance from the enemies. But no, I, I, I felt that there was a little bit more strategy to using Barrett than that because like, I had to consider sometimes, well, do I want to press the triangle button and charge up my more powerful attack so I can more quickly charge my ATP gauge? Or do I want to use, like, for example, the steel skin ability to significantly increase my defenses? And do I want to use that other ability whose name uh, eludes me that will allow me to take damage from another teammate? Oh, the uh, chakra? No. no, no. Barrett had an ability, too, that would... It was like second skin or something? Oh, second some, something to that effect, yes. I don't. Yeah, that, that that was what I was going to get to as well. It's like out of all of the characters outside of Cloud, I feel like I enjoyed using Barrett's abilities the most. Oh, okay. Like I felt like I ended up I so I found myself use so for each of the characters that okay, there's a trophy tied to unlocking all of the weapon abilities for each of the characters' weapons. So I found myself jumping between characters a lot and jumping between weapons to unlock those abilities. Getting maximum fury from Barrett was awesome cuz that move just dice through everything uh oh, yeah. and then he had another one that i name is escaping me right now not the one he has initially but there's another one that just does a butt ton of damage that i just i found myself switching to him a lot and just using those up as soon as i had the chance to i guess i'm yeah it seems i'm in the minority of thinking barrett was the was not that fun to play as and so i tried to avoid it uh, i will I, say I, that I, go ahead no, I was just going to say, I think unlocking the different weapon abilities, you can use them with your most optimized weapon, like your most upgraded weapon, was very important for me personally in enjoying those characters. Because if you're stuck to just the one weapon ability that that weapon has, it felt like it had le there was less variety to it. But as soon as you unlock like three or four different abilities you can use on any of the weapons, jumping between those for different scenarios really helped keep it fresh especially with a character like barrett who had a variety of different both buff skills as well as uh damage skills 
Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think a key to enjoying all the characters in the game is unlocking all of their individual weapons abilities and then kind of experimenting with each of uh, the weapons. Like, for example, uh, I even though it's not the strongest weapon in the game, I did like the Nail Bat a lot because it's... Uh, Punisher mode, uh, like main Punisher mode move, is basically to stand in place and to swing it like a baseball bat. And every second or third swing or so is like a lucky hit uh, that will basically do deal a ton of damage to your opponents. And I liked experimenting with it that even though I didn't end up using it a whole lot. I will say, uh, I didn't get a lot of use out of Aerith's um, triangle ability, which was Tempest, uh, but I still enjoyed using Aerith a lot for, again, uh, her kind of spacing uh, attributes and her other abilities that you can unlock from her weapons. Yeah, I usually had Aerith set up as my healer, yeah. so there wasn't yeah. a lot of time that I spent using her as a character, except in there was a couple of encounters that if you were able to keep your distance, the enemy really couldn't catch up with you. So it took me a lot longer to complete a couple of them, but it was way easier to just use Aerith and spam a bunch of attacks. I actually liked the dual use of Tempest where you could just press it for like, she basically had a light, medium, and a heavy attack. So if you just pressed it, it would, so your square would just be a light attack. Your just press triangle was sort of a medium-ish attack. And if you charge triangle, then it was more of a heavy attack, which I actually quite liked the variety to her basic attacks in that nature. Cause there wasn't another character like that really that could use a variety of different basic attacks on demand. Hmm. So it made it quite varied for when I did end up using Aerith. But again, for the most part, she was standing at the back as my healer. I mean, I, I'm i going to be attempting hard mode in due time, and I'm definitely going to want to experiment a little bit more with Tempest when I do my second playthrough. So thanks for the tip in that regard. Um, moving ahead, after, of course, uh, on the subject of Aerith, after Mako Reactor 5 is destroyed and we face off against the Airbuster boss... Cloud tumbles into the sector slums below and meets up with good old Aerith and goes on a series of adventures in and around her hometown before eventually meeting her mother and spending a rather uncomfortable night at her house. You said earlier, Mitch, that you thought Jessie was the best girl. Where does Aerith rank Agreed. in your best girl trifecta? Probably third. For oh, me, really? it's cool. it's Jesse, it's Marlene, it's yeah, Aerith. I don't know if Tifa. you want to put Marlene on that list. That feels a little weird. Yeah, I'm not talking. Also, about this. I would I would much rather uh, put the character, the, um, the female character, I enjoyed the most, and you, I enjoyed Marlene's characterization. Every time you say that list, yeah. then we're, we're getting into super creeper territory. But in terms of the small best girls girl in is the my game, fiance. Then I'm not going to talk about this about any of them. Then God damn I, it! I, I personally prefer the. <laughs> I forget what her name is. She's the girl with the more colorful clothes, and she's she's part of the mission where you have to collect music CDs. You know who I'm talking about? Oh yeah, she had the cats. In the yeah, that's mission, yeah. no. Didn't Wedge have the cats? No, but there was like a little girl who was looking for for cats in one of the. It yeah. was like oh one of the very yeah, early yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. No, I, I so I felt like Tifa out of the three if you want to call the main female leads, I felt like Tifa had the least character growth out of the three. I mean, her whole mm. shtick of just, you know, not wanting to be involved and then getting involved and not really explaining why she ended up getting involved. 
uh, kind of paled to what I felt I got out of Jesse's characterization of, you know, hiding her true intentions from her family, using her family's access to the Shinra Corp to, you know, weasel her way in and like that. Also, her, the guilt she felt over the explosives right up until the end really solidified how, like, she just felt the, the most complex out of any of the, the female leads, which I appreciated. The the realization later of Aerith's true origin and how she plays into the main story, I felt very compelling. And Tifa just is there and punches stuff. And there's a lot of weird stuff on the internet. That's about it. <laughs> Uh, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but a little bit. Um, Sorry. At the end of the uh, chapter, just before you ascend back up to Midgar for the final time to hit, head into Shinra HQ, you have a brief cutscene where you talk to one of the three party members. Did you have it with Tifa, Aerith, or Barrett? Mine was Aerith. I don't even remember this because it, it, I'm because like I feel like in that cutscene you talk a little bit more with Tifa, and I feel like it kind of solidifies slash reinforces you know the journey that she's on where she's kind of in the same boat as cloud and at both of their uh, hometowns or well their hometown because they came from the same hometown was destroyed in the past and they're both recovering from it in different ways and both want to connect with each other but both also feel kind of awkward about it because back in the day cloud did not hang out with tifa as much as either of them wanted to or would have liked to uh i mean I, I ultimately at the end of the day i think that the devs are just waiting to kind of like explore this stuff a little bit more in detail in the subsequent entries in this series when we're actually going to be able to delve a lot more deeply into cloud's backstory as well but yeah i i, I would i wouldn't disagree that definitely we saw the most uh backstory for it Aerith and Jesse provided. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the the story fleshes out a little bit more into Cloud and Tifa's backstory and their existing relationship before the events of Final Fantasy VII Remake. And at that point, I would like to have this conversation again, but at least for what I got out of Final Fantasy Remake, I don't know if you want to call it part one or whatever, but it's that would be the way that I, I felt about the way the characters are portrayed. Uh. Alex, I realize mm -hmm. that you didn't really mention what your order of the ladies in this game is. So, one of the episodes of the proper show, I was still, I was still quite early in the game. I, I think I was about halfway through, and I was like, Aerith is 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 waifu number one for me, and I still think that that's true. It changes throughout the game once you do learn about her her true nature and the way that she's like when you're talking about that one scene before they go to get her out and Aerith was the person who was waiting and it seemed to be it's not particularly clear if it's a vision of her or if it's her projecting herself whatever it was it wasn't super clear what it was but it was like okay and she's acting very differently but I really liked the especially in this this chapter where we first get properly introduced to Aerith because obviously you have the one encounter with her beforehand but once you get properly introduced to her she's got so much fun playful banter with Cloud and the way that she's just kind of like pestering him in like a very fun way and he's and she gets him to be his bodyguard it was a really really cute relationship that they were having and I wanted 
I wanted just the whole game to be centered around that. Obviously, it couldn't be, but uh, she was definitely at the top. And then I would say it probably goes Jesse, then then Tifa. I think a lot of what Mitch said about Tifa really holds sure is that I think she has a lot of untapped potential to seeing what her what how why she ticks the way she does and i'm very excited to see that but as of what final fantasy 7 remake is as a whole it's Aerith, then jesse then tiva uh to get away from uh discussing the best girls for just a second <laughs> i do want to say uh this section of the game was probably well actually i was about to say it was my favorite like open-ended ish uh side quest c section of the game but there is also wall market which we're going to get to in a bit uh, but yeah, I I enjoyed this even more than the Sector 7 slums area, and I liked uh, the introduction of Rude and a lot of the other yeah. tertiary characters in this section as well. The yeah, the whole... Oh, es- Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, just, I was going to yeah. say, the whole escape sequence in the church, keeping away from you know, Rude and his, or not Rude, uh, Reno, Reno and yeah. his, uh, his lackeys, and that, I, I really enjoyed that, even though some of the traversal mechanics feel out of 1998 um from the way you have to like move across things that you're like hanging from and and it just it didn't feel as intuitive as the battle system which i mean they are a little hampered by the um by the setting and and the way that the game was originally portrayed which i totally understand but those things felt very choppy Whereas the rest of the game, in terms of the mechanics, all feel so fluid and fresh and fun. Uh, maybe I was just expecting more from the traversal elements of the game, but I felt like that was probably my biggest disappointment in the game, is the way you traversed environments. was just It felt so blocky. There were a lot of times where it's like, why can't this just be a cutscene? I'd rather a cutscene where they're talking and doing stuff and moving from point A to point B. I don't need the open world. If it's going to mean me, you know, monkey barring across this thing to knock a ladder down, to do this, to do... It just, it didn't feel fun. I gotta say, okay. um, you, you brought it up a little bit with the fighting uh, Reno. Uh, that was the first introduction of a boss, of the one-on-one boss fight where it's like, it felt anime as fuck in the best possible way. Uh, I really, 100%. I really loved the fight with Reno. And then the fight with Rude as well, even though it wasn't one-on-one. Those, like, where it was just super over-the-top anime boss fights were some of my favorite moments in the entire game. And I just, we're we're going to get to it, I but really there, was one bo- there was one boss fight that was the epitome of anime for me, where it was just you have one thing you can do and you have to counter it, and every counter leads to a goddamn what feels like a cutscene. Yeah, I love And it just felt like that all strung together really well, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, one of the one of the big things just about and this boss fight I think was one of the ones that highlighted it the most was whenever you're in the middle of combat and then it switches to like a cutscene almost like thing in the middle of the boss fight is was some of the is what I'm talking about when the presentation is being so so high um is just those like those transitions and showing like the really cool camera angles and all of that i just those were some of the best moments of the entire game i would say best moments yes best presentation i would argue less so because i felt like when we got those cutscenes that were in engine in the middle of fights and things like that you could really tell that it was in engine like you could see let's say a shinra logo in the background that looked very pixelated 
because it was rendered in engine. Some textures didn't look quite as sharp as they do in other cutscenes. And okay. I could really tell the difference between what was an in-engine cutscene and what was rendered. And that pulled me out of it a little bit, but not so much that I still didn't enjoy the presentation elements of it. I just felt like those in-engine presentation elements, those in-engine cutscenes, lacked compared to those that you could tell were pre-rendered. Uh, so, after Cloud spends the night at Aerith's house, he attempts to break out in the middle of the night. Well, break out is, I feel, a little bit of a harsh way to describe it. He does break some vases, maybe while he tries to get out of his room, but of course, Aerith will always <laughs> lead him back to his bed if he tries to do so. Eventually, though, he does leave the house. He meets up with Aerith, who apparently realized that he was trying to escape. They go down a destroyed highway, and eventually they get to Wall Market, where a whole lot of wacky shenanigans ensue, and they eventually get dumped into a sewer. Before uh, we get to Wall Market, I want to just say the interaction between Cloud and Aerith's mom, like that, yeah. that whole interaction felt so genuine of her just wanting to protect her daughter from mm -hmm. all of this stuff we don't know about Cloud, which in the context of this universe, she seems to know a lot and with what is revealed later knowing why she's trying to protect Aerith it just adds so much more to the character building around Aerith and and even Cloud in terms of his backstory that I really appreciated that no you cannot stay here you need to get out of my house you have to leave her behind I really really love that I will say you know it was kind of a nice breath, breath of fresh air that typically in a lot of Final Fantasy games not just Final Fantasy 7 it's rare if ever that you get to be introduced to the parents of the main characters and so it was kind of neat to discover oh Aerith actually has a mother and you know she has mixed feelings about Aerith's future and she has justifiable reasons for you not for not wanting you to hang out with her yeah family is a huge theme throughout this game and I really appreciate every time it pops up between Jesse and her parents or the relationship between Barrett and Marlene and then Aerith and her mom. I, I really like it every time it, it gets brought up and you, f you start to feel like even Avalanche as a whole starts to feel like its own family. And that theme just keeps coming up again and again. And I really like it. Uh, before, uh, I know we already said this, uh, these series of words, but before we get to Wall Market, I do also want to say, while the destroyed highway section did run a little bit long, uh, I was a huge fan of the music on the way there. Yes, the music just throughout that whole section was... It made using those giant arms actually bearable because at least the sound... No, it didn't. It, it helped. No, it least. didn't. It helped during those moments. No, it, that was without a doubt the worst part of the game. It's up there. But sure. I, I would like to take a minute and just talk about how phenomenal the entirety of the soundtrack to this game is. Oh my oh, God, man. is it good? Yeah. Is so good. Yeah. I really wish we're on Apple Music. Every time I go in there, I'm like, someone has to have put it up, right? Right? No. It's on Spotify, and that kills me. It 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 makes me all. I almost want to switch from Apple Music to Spotify for that one album. That's how good the music in this game is. So, here's something interesting. This whole section where you're exploring the destroyed highway, from the music to what you were doing gameplay-wise, it's the part of the game that reminded me the most of Final Fantasy XIII, which, you know, as somebody who played Final Fantasy XIII and for the overall enjoyed Final Fantasy XIII, gripes aside, I can definitely kind of see why you guys didn't really love it all that much. Um, but there was a small part of me that was like, oh, I, I do kind of 
it, uh, there is an odd part of me that feels weirdly nostalgic for Final Fantasy thirteen, and it's neat that this part reminds me of it. So while I hated the hands portion of this, the mechanic of having to move those around was just awful and shouldn't have been there. This chapter also contains one of the biggest laugh out loud moments for me of this entire game. And that's when you, you come into a room, there's these like hooligans or whatever they are oh, that yeah. put up the, they, they put, they're just so they're the macho and like, Oh yeah, no, we're going to stop you. Whatever. You wipe the floor with them almost instantly. And as you're leaving, they're like whispering to each other. No, no, just, just, oh, yeah. just play dead. Just play dead. As soon as you go through the door, God damn it. We got to run. Run guys. <laughs> oh my God. Like I was legitimately in my apartment just laughing out loud. Cause it's, Oh, it's so dumb, but it's so great at the same time. And then they pop up again later in the Coliseum, which is like, oh, God, not these guys again. Yeah, every time. It was great. Guys, I loved every it. Every time they showed up, it was like, oh, my. I was like cheering out loud. I was so happy every time that they showed up. They were some they were the only characters who weren't a part of like the main cast of characters that I actually really enjoyed. Like they were the only like side side characters that I thought were actually like well written and actually worth being there because like if you're not like in the main cast of characters um or like the main side characters then i thought everyone else was just kind of not super well done but i think these i think those those guys were were really great and super memorable so on the subject of which let's get into wall market what route through wall market did you guys end up taking there are different routes Oh yeah. Like, what do you mean by so? Okay. Like you, you could have negotiated with Madame M. You could have negotiated with oh, the interesting bearded cowboy guy. Like no, ultimately, not wait, really. Yeah, wait, like thought... certain. Well, well, certain certain like story beats would have always been the same. Like Cloud would yes. have still had his dance off at Andrea Rodea's uh, Honey Bee Inn. But like some of these side quests that you could have been directed through in that area could have been a little bit different depending on some of the decisions that you made. Yeah, based on some of the conversation choices you make after Aerith is taken in by Madame M to be dolled up, essentially, uh, depending on the choices you made before that, you either do a bunch of missions for her or some missions for Chocobo Cowboy. Oh, I okay. think based on the decisions I made my the first time I went through it, because I did end up going through it again to get back to the Coliseum. Uh, the first time I went through it, I think I ended up doing stuff with Chocobo Cowboy. But by the end of, you know, my time so far with it, I've done both. I definitely did the Madam M stuff. I, uh, in my case, I, yeah, did most of the Madam M stuff as well. And so you guys went for the nice hand massages off the bat, not the crappy hand massage? Because I, I feel like that's the decision that made it for me. It's whatever I, don't, I, I don't, could have afforded. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I had 3,000 gil at that moment. I, I probably would have gone for the 3,000 gil one if I had the gil, because obviously by the end of the game, you're kind of just swimming in it, and it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I wasn't able to afford it. So I, I was being a bit of a cheese when it came to playing through this. I was following a trophy guide, and oh. it said on your, your first playthrough, just follow these decisions so that the next time through, if I want to continue to follow that guide to clear the rest of the game out, which I know I'm going to do. Uh, I can just follow what's in the guide. So what was in the guide had me, you know, doing the Chocobo Cowboy stuff. What did we think of the dance-off at good old Andrea Rodea's Honey Bee Inn? That freaking trophy, man. I replayed that too many times to get this stupid trophy. And the CD. 
Oh, well, I'm, I'm sad to hear that you had a lot of frustration there because I actually I still it. loved it. Yeah, I, I loved like, everything about this game. I, I, I got it on my first <laughs> try without really. Trying. So he's just a better gamer. No, than you, I'm, I'm not saying. No, that. no. So I got I got the trophy on my first try, but I it took two or three, or I think it took two tries to get the CD. So that That's moment all. is insane in the best yes. possible way. I knew before going into this that there was some weird cross-dressing stuff that happens in Final Fantasy VII. Um, I yes. knew that that was a thing that happened, um, but apparently the way that they the way that they handled it in in the remake is super super tasteful, and I thought it was super tasteful in the way that they did it and kind of um, and just made it like this whole extravagant experience. And playing the the like the quick time event thing with it, um, I really enjoyed the pres the presentation of it but at the same time the whole having the mechanics of having it to be a quick time event type thing made it so that i couldn't really appreciate the awesome cinematic that was happening and i had to focus on oh what's the next button what's the next button and i couldn't really i didn't get to appreciate it in its entirety watching it again on youtube later that then i got to like really take it all in but i thought making it a gameplay thing was kind of I felt like it wasted the opportunity that it presented with itself. Yeah, I was a I was a little too focused on trying to get the trophy on my first time through that I didn't catch all of it, unfortunately. And I feel like I'm going to do exactly what you did, Alex. Pull it up on YouTube and just appreciate it because the the cinematic that is playing around this it wasn't even a quick time event. I felt like it more like a rhythm game. That's what I, I treated yeah. it like yeah. a rhythm game. That's what it felt like. And I was more focused on the mechanics of that than I was the presentation, which is unfortunate. Because the track that's playing there is great. It seemed like I really enjoyed the character of what's his name that I'm forgetting. Cozy? Andrea Rodea. Andrea Rodea. I really enjoyed the characterization around that. Like you said, Alex, it did feel like they took a tasteful approach to this. It didn't feel ham-fisted into the game. It felt like it was required for things to be able to progress the way the story oh. did. It wasn't just, hey, we're going to do this because we can. It was, hey, we need to do this to give players a a presumable reason why cloud ends up being part of what comes next also just the moment and like this is just like such a low moment but it's one of the things that made me really really like Aerith is after that moment happens and you're playing as her and cloud walks out and you can tell he's upset and she's like trying to talk to him it's such a cute little moment that i really just wanted, leave me alone yeah i really wanted to highlight that i, I love that i i love her too sitting in the the honeybee the room or whatever when he's doing the dancing just cheering him on and mm -hmm. oh, i'm like oh she's cute yeah that, like, was, that was nice that was, that was like, a nice moment that was one of those moments where i'm like yep Aerith, i absolutely love her she is so great she's just she's just she's so fun. pure and fun yeah yeah I, that may come back to bite her but we'll see yeah and uh, as has been pointed out in the chat you know this whole section of the game uh at the honeybee inn is significantly over improved over what it previously was like uh, in the original version of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, so, obviously, <laughs> that's worth appreciating. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, by the way, any thoughts on the uh, cutscenes that play out when you finally get to confront Don Corneo? Well, I think before we reach that moment, we need to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the boss fight of Wall Market Hell House. Because oh, yes. oh my god, the we whole Colosseum section is so good. Sorry, I briefly, I briefly glazed over the whole Colosseum segment, thinking that oh yeah, that's a good segment, completely forgetting about the Hell House. Yeah. So on one of the episodes of YYZ Proper, I had mentioned a boss fight 
an a an experience that I had with said boss fight. I knew which boss fight you were talking about. I, I knew you knew, but now I can. It had to be this it. boss fight. So I had taken an edible, and as soon as Hell House showed up, is when I felt it, and that was the weirdest experience I've ever had. I cannot even it. imagine. I genuinely didn't know what was happening. It was so bizarre. The boss fight itself, oh, I think, I don't, I didn't really have that much fun fighting it, but just the whole "what the fuck, this is a house" was so insane. But like, I, I don't know. Like, I just, what did you guys think of the boss fight of Hell House? So, quick question: Did the edibles help you fight the boss battle better? No, it just, it was. I I like I don't think it took I didn't I don't think it detracted from my actual playing of the game. It was more just the as soon as it started, I was very very confused, but I was still like, "All right, I'm going to go with it." Like I was just I felt like I was more willing to accept what was happening instead of really questioning. Got it. Right. This was a originally a encounter in the original version of Final Fantasy 7 that like happened in the wild uh, in an area not too far from this area and yeah even though i didn't have that knowledge originally going into this boss battle i had a hell of a time with this battle i mean hey, far and away hell uh, uh far and away like w probably the most impressive part of this battle to me personally uh were just the sheer amount of quips that were spouted throughout the boss battle by the two commentators yes like whenever Aerith would be sucked in whenever they would use even like right down to the specific attacks they would uh call out a summon to use on the hell house it was so darn impressive and i'm looking forward to taking it on on hard mode because apparently it gains some neat new attacks on hard mode that i'm looking i am not at all looking forward to it on hard mode because in the chat raging plum was saying that not only does it summon both a sweeper and something else that you have to kill at the same time but it will also just summon tonberries and throw them at you and oh. those things can go die in a fire i'm not looking forward to that in the slightest yeah i it was hard <laughs> enough on normal now, i remember i had to do it like two to three times because it was like there was there was one time where i died right when it was like so close to being finished and then both of them went both Aerith and cloud went down at the exact same time and oh, i got God. so upset one of the this was also a moment where i noticed that um part of though i really like the cinematics that happen in the middle of boss fights it was also kind of like when it's your first time going through you don't know when you should use abilities like a limit break which are like they right. take a really long time to recharge and sometimes i feel like i would have been wasting using cloud's limit break just because oh i i it was right on the cusp of having that cinematic happen and whenever you do it and i'm not sure if this is completely the case but it feels like it doesn't do the full amount of damage that it probably should have because no it, it stops at whatever yeah. that threshold is to trigger the yeah, the yeah. Cut and so though i really liked it in a presentation aspect in the i felt like it detracted from the actual boss fight itself and i just wanted to bring that up because that was a problem that i had through a lot of the later games yeah i know specifically for hell house i had to do it two or three times i think the first time i forgot to bring a cess so I had no mm. idea what was going on. And then the second time through, I brought a cess, figured out what I had to do, realized that I didn't have all my spells, and to get through that. So I really like the mechanic of the barrier shifting between the different elements. Right. And using spells that are more effective against certain elements to get it down faster. 
but I didn't have everything with me. So I got it really close to the end on the second time and then, then ended up having to redo it with the correct materia setup. Uh, yeah, I, I do want to, before I move on to the next chapter section, I do want to briefly touch on the uh, encounter with Don Corneo in his hideout uh, because that produced one of the best scenes slash gifts from the game, which is when Aerith just knocks that guy's lights out with that chair. Oh, yes. I, I do want to say before we get away from the Coliseum that the banter between Cloud and Aerith, like, oh, we're not a couple. Oh, yeah, we're totally a couple. And, like, that whole thing, that, that relationship, that dynamic as they go through this this Coliseum challenge was really nice. It was really fun, really playful. Mm-hmm. And I know that that wasn't part of the original game, that whole section. Or as far as I know, it wasn't. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But I really enjoyed that whole, like, even though for some people it might have felt like a bit of a drag to get through all of those fights, I really liked it. Uh, so after our encounter with a little Don Corneo, we discover that apparently Shinra is planning on making the plate fall down on the Sector 7 slums, killing people both above and below. So we head down into the sewers, or well, we don't technically head down into the sewers, we're dropped down into the sewers. We make our way out of the sewers and make our way through the train graveyard and make one final stand on the Sector 7 plate. That, of course, ends in... Um, there's a lot to talk about here. I will say, I I have a feeling that neither of you probably like the train gate graveyard stuff all that much. I was going to bring that up, yeah. I loved it. it oh, was really? Cool. I really liked it. It was cool and atmospheric, but it also felt really, really out of place, in my opinion. Hmm. I just I like the fact that it played into the teases we'd had earlier of whatever these spirits are that I'm sure will be addressed later in a subsequent sequel or whatever wherever it ends up coming up but i thought it was really cool when you see marlene in the graveyard i'm just like wait what did because they they bring up this whole thing of like people being kidnapped or whatever their souls being trapped i didn't really get all of it to be honest but when i see her there i get really worried because i know how much she means to bear it and what that might mean and not knowing what's going on and it added this sense of urgency that I didn't actually feel in the rest of the game to that same extent. I don't know. For me, anytime you put a kid in danger, like I had the same feeling later on when Aerith is trying to find Marlene uh, towards the end of where you're talking about where the they're, they fail to save the plate. I All yeah. of that to me just adds a level of uncertainty and unease that I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but anytime a kid is threatened, game like you're taking a game to the next level for me personally with the way that i experienced the story uh so the thing about with me is that i just felt like after completing the sewer section i was ready for the story to really pick up and so i was kind of frustrated by the fact that we had another chapter that we had to go through before we got to the plate stuff which was the train chapter i don't think that the train chapter necessarily was even that poor it's just the frustration of having a prize which in this case is getting to the big story stuff being delayed yet again by a somewhat fillery section of the game um but i mean that's just me i will also say that i do think that the train chapter is the last section of the game that i would consider like really fillery before the game like i feel like after the train chapter it's for the most part there's one cool. more there's one more filler chapter that i can think of it's the one with all the side quests no it's a, it's really it's the one it's the one where it, and this is a little bit later on it's where you have to go back to get to don corneo and you're right at the door and then the creature takes it and you have to chase it for an hour well, to get the key to the door we, we'll get back to that i, but. I have thought yeah 
that that uh, was but, like the that was my prime example of there's a lot of filler in this game but but I, when, when it we, came to that i liked a lot of the exploring around those bits like there was a lot of neat hidden collectibles and materia and items and things that mm-hmm. would have just felt shoehorned in if they just thrown them into any other part of the game and there was a lot to discover from that pointless chase but we'll get to that Anyways, after we get through the ghost train section, however, it's time to save the Sector 7 plate, or at least try really hard to save it. Uh, That's where shit gets This was, uh, of course, a very, very sad chapter. Uh, Obviously a chapter that I enjoyed a lot in spite of that, but uh, it was unfortunate to know that in the end, our efforts just were not quite enough to stop the combined forces of Rude and whatever the hell his name was. Reno. Reno. There we go. Uh... Yeah. This chapter was very, very depressing. Literally, so I remember when I was playing it, I stopped right before, it was right after Biggs, but right before Jesse. And oh, I got, no. yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, Biggs, is, Biggs has died. I'm like, okay, that's really, that's really rough. And it was like pretty late. And so I'm like, I'm going to pick this up tomorrow. And then literally immediately picking up the controller is like oh no jesse and jesse was the character and you had to stop immediately yeah and then it was just like no i can't do this again i can't i can't go through and lose. <laughs> who's next i was like convinced that wedge was going to be next as well that i thought it was going to be like a full-on like rogue one type situation where as soon as people start dying they start dying can i just say one thing about wedge every time he mentions jesse all I think of is Breaking Bad. I mean, I couldn't not hear Badger's You voice. can't not hear his voice, right? But also, even though it's like that character from Breaking Bad sticks out in my mind every time he speaks, he also has the perfect voice for that character. Oh, no, no, no. I, I really, I think the casting is perfect, but every time he says Jesse, it's oh, just, okay, okay yeah. it's Jesse from Breaking Bad. It's not Jesse from Final Fantasy VII. And that took a while to get over for me personally. And I got over it right around here when she's no longer in the game. I mean, I thought even after she laid down her head that, oh, well, she could have just passed out from the wounds. But the, the, the next little bit of the game, yeah, it doesn't make it feel pretty unambiguous of what her fate is. Although the final cutscene of the game does call that into question, sort of. Uh, quick question, by the way. Did you guys do the cheat involving Tifa and Rude in the final boss uh, battle of this chapter i didn't learn about it i didn't learn about it until much later rude basically yeah won't rude won't attack tifa because he has sort of a crush on her so if you i had no idea this was a thing yeah so if you take out reno until this moment if you take out reno first then rude is super easy because you just play as jesse or not jesse you play as tifa and then he won't attack her so i think what i did here was i equipped elemental materia linked to lightning on cloud defensively so that none of reno's lightning attacks would hurt him and just countered everything he did till he went down and then focused on rude worked pretty well for me but i didn't even know the tifa thing until literally this moment yeah there's a lot of like really hidden detail type stuff like that in this all throughout this game that i that's just final fantasy for you yeah but i feel like this game i mean and i don't know about the other games i feel like this game it's like especially apparent and it might just be I mean, because I would... of the history of this game in particular and it being tied to so much more that people are more aware of a lot of these small details. But I could just be, it could be just um, projecting a little bit. I was going to say, I'll try that when I run through on hard mode, but Raging Plum in the Twitch chat is saying it doesn't work there. So that's unfortunate. Oh, that's lame. <laughs> so after the destruction of the Sector 7 plate, everybody is sad. 
uh, the gang explore around the Sector 7 slums. They determine that uh, Mitch's favorite girl of all time, Marlene, is still alive. Thank and they God. explore a secret laboratory underneath the destruction of Sector 7. Uh, they run through a sewer for a little bit to chase after a little swamp gremlin. And finally, they head up to the top side of Midgar. This chapter... Alex's favorite chapter in the game. This chapter is very, very... I mean, it really brought Barrett's character to the forefront. When he's like... Mm. When he comes to realize it's like... And he thinks, oh, everyone... Almost everyone who I love is dead and he thinks marlene might be dead as well this is where you really start to see barrett as a true character and it was super emotional when he starts like when he's saying all of their names and he's just staring at the rubble that was a moment that really stuck out super hard to me of like oh i'm really invested in all of these characters Hmm. yeah um Quick question. Do you guys have any thoughts on the secret lab stuff? I will say it was kind of oddly pleasing to have this one section of the game where we could actually play as Barrett, even though it was relatively short and kind of straightforward. It was cool. I really liked the story context of it. It's like throughout the throughout like when you're doing the side quests as cloud yeah. as the mercenary there's like all of these monsters and people are like where are all these monsters coming from and you f- find out the reason why this was some of the filler type stuff that i thought served a purpose to the overall game in itself not only that but correct me if i'm wrong i believe that there is an npc during one of the earlier chapters who's like yeah i heard that there's rumors about a secret shinra lab underneath this area mm-hmm. and yeah but so- it's like a crazy person that no one really believes or something like that wasn't it yeah and so when you discover this stuff it's uh, really great because it's like oh yeah this is like this isn't just ren and this is actually really well set up yeah which yeah obviously i appreciated yeah the story connotations of it all was really really well executed it's very subtle too like unless you're really thinking about it it's like it's it's paying off on what was earlier rumored in the game which you don't see a lot of in games like this a lot of it is you know Oh, only the only the highbrow are gonna read through some of the thematic elements and things like that. But no, it it really does lend itself well to good storytelling, which I appreciated. Yeah. Mm. Um. Shortly after this, the race through the sewer where we have to chase after the swamp goblin. Um. I, I know, Alex. You said that Alexa, you really turn didn't off like this I read a really interesting take on this section on Kotaku. Okay. Maybe you guys have seen it where I forget who it was, but they basically talked about in their article how after the, you know, sadness of the collapse of the Sector 7 plate, being able to chase after this goblin is like kind of like a relief. It gives you a section to kind of like briefly forget about your troubles and worries and just enjoy something that's purely fun and (laughs) kind of silly. I, I mean, I don't know that I fully felt that way when I experienced that section myself but looking back at back on it in that context i can definitely appreciate what the devs were going for it was meant to be like hey you know let's take a quick break from all the seriousness that we just experienced and have a little bit of relief i feel like that's kind of the only time we get something like that up and up to like leading up to the end of the game i don't think it was necessary because at this point we're like full steam ahead into what is crazy lore and world building and encounters and weird creatures and 
tanks and shit and talking foxes and I, the game gets real weird at this point. I don't think it was necessary, but this is it, the point that it gets real weird. No, it gets weird a little bit later. You're you're kind of you're kind of blending. No, I'm saying it gets weird leading up to the end. Like I'm saying, everything that comes after it, this is much heavier. Yeah, and okay. I don't like in terms of how bizarre it gets, and I don't think this was really needed. Yeah, hmm. I I just thought it was like a I just why does this whole like i was just more upset with how long this this whole part took and it doesn't really in my opinion it doesn't really lead to anything except for you get a little bit of a character moment with the one guy who worked for don Corneo. i don't even remember his name because he doesn't come back again maybe he might appear in future games but he just he wasn't relevant to the rest of the he's like i'm gonna get my revenge and it's like i don't care about you i want to care about the characters that have already been established at this point i did like the whole thing about you know his what was his fiance or something like that was or his girl was chosen to be a wife of don corneo and he's like i'm gonna he's working for for him with a chance to get vengeance and find her and all this stuff i I like that i don't know I just, I just, but didn't I, care. I, I knew when that character first showed, I'm like, oh, you look different from all the other NPCs, so you're going to be more important later on. And it turns out I was right. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, not actually, super important. I'm kind of surprised at how much stuff we got of him in the game. I thought that after the wall market, that would kind of be it for him. But yeah. lo and behold, we got a fair bit more. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about the climb up to the top of Midgar, uh, but I did enjoy the chapter all the same. Yeah. I will say it featured some really creative uses of grappling hooks that I would have not thought about before playing this game. The only thing I want to say about this whole section is it really just highlighted just how gorgeous this game can be at some moments. The skyboxes, oh, yeah. especially during this moment where you can see all of the destruction from the plate having fallen, is in a, in a way it's really beautiful. And I just really wanted to highlight that, that I think that just the world of Midgar is so unique and interesting that this was kind of like the moment where it like really, really clicked for me. And I really like began to appreciate it way more. Yeah, I cannot wait to get back to it to complete my hard mode playthrough to just focus on one, the combat being way more difficult. And secondly, just those little moments that I might have missed in trying to, you know, explore every nook and cranny to find every collectible to complete all the side missions that felt like it took away from the main narrative and i want to just enjoy it the way that the developers intended of this is our world and presenting it in a way that is just so unlike anything we get in gaming most of the time so i figure i might as well bring it up here because i feel like it's a natural segue from this current conversation when you guys beat the game did you guys feel like there is a lot still remaining uh back uh in the game for you to play through and experience because when this game was first released one of the criticisms that seemed to be on the minds of many people uh was that there wasn't a lot to do after you completed it that like it's very kind of light on post-game content. And I mean, from what I've seen, just looking at the menus thus far and seeing what I have and haven't completed, it doesn't seem like the biggest JRPG of all time in terms of post-game content. But I'm still kind of looking at everything. I was kind of like, wow, there's quite a lot for me left to do. I think So for oh, me, sorry, no, go ahead. I'm, okay. I'm I was going to say, as somebody who has no real interest in getting any, to platinum the game or getting any remaining trophies... I 
have no real interest in playing the game again. Like, there's not anything that's pulling me back. But I also don't think that's a bad thing. I think, like, when when the game was first, when it first, like, the reviews dropped for it and people were saying, oh, it's only 40 hours long? That's such a ridiculous criticism. There was a point where I was like, I was kind of like, oh, this, like, when I got to the 30-hour mark, I'm like, I'm a little bit struggling to get through this now because I just, I kind of wanted it to be over. I felt like I was satisfied with the amount of time that it was given, and I'm perfectly content with everything that was given to me. I'm sure there are things I can do, but I don't feel any need to go back. So to add a little context, I am sitting at 80% trophy completion. I have three trophies to complete for the platinum. So four trophies left overall. Uh, I went back after I completed the main story to clear up a bunch of the simulator missions. And the I went back and replayed through the chapters that lead up to the Colosseum. So I could complete the Colosseum missions that you could only do with Aerith one time. Went back and did them with... Barrett with Tifa completed all of that got to the final simulator missions in the second to last level I think it is I have one more of those to complete one of the hard mode ones to complete which is kicking my ass and then from there I'm going to start my hard mode playthrough and like I said it, this is just a world I want to experience over and over and over again I understand now why people look at Final Fantasy VII as one of their favorite games of all time. Because for me, Final Fantasy Remake is, I think, seventh on my top ten list of my favorite games of all time at this point. I don't see that changing anytime soon. It's a masterpiece. It is one of the best games I've ever played, and I can't wait to go back to it. So so I was going to ask, so besides the fact that you got trophies doing that, you think that going back and doing all those things was worth it? I so replaying some of them so having to go through again and complete side missions a certain way to get certain trophies is a bit of a it's a bit monotonous I kind of wish you didn't have to do things like that but at the same time just getting to go back and play the game some more I love the mechanics I love the weapon variety the the variety in materia that you can equip it's the the depth of some of the systems so I don't know about the two of you, but I actually set auto leveling on for all of my character weapons. So I wouldn't have to go in and meticulously pick what to unlock at each level up. And I felt like that saved me a lot of time um, because ultimately I was able to go back. And what's kind of nice too, is I actually bumped the game to classic mode for a bit where the game essentially plays itself and you only have to interact to use actions or like, like your ATB actions, so spells and things like that. And I actually quite liked that experience. I might actually play through the whole game like that if I want to go back and experience it again after I complete hard mode. But I actually used that to grind a little bit in some of the, um, I think it was the tournament challenges at the Coliseum to get my characters fully leveled up because I didn't want to go into the, the hard mode challenges that are available in a normal playthrough before I started my hard mode playthrough. I wanted to make sure everyone was maxed out. I had all, all sorts of materia maxed out and just the, I never felt like I was doing things that I didn't want to do. Like I never felt, it never felt grindy. It just felt like there was a challenge there that I wanted to overcome and I'm still doing it. And I can't wait to get back to it, to complete that one VR mission or challenge mode or whatever it was, and then go back and play through the game on hard. 
Cool. You actually just reminded me. I actually never tried out classic mode while I was playing. Yeah, me neither. I, I completely um, forgot it was there. I, mean, I it, only did it to grind my characters up to max level, and it was super, super intuitive. I mean, I it, it's not that I... like. I don't feel like I missed out on not trying classic mode, but I probably should try that out at some point. Uh, so, yeah. After Cloud, Tifa, and Barrett manage to ascend to the top of Midgar, we enter into the final act of the game. Um, let's talk about the first part of this final act, which is when they manage to get into Shinra building and basically go all about Shinra's top secret headquarters. They meet up with President Shinra, Aerith, sorry, not Aerith, but Tifa swings from a bunch of chandeliers. They climb up a stairwell. All sorts of things happen in this section. You get a hint of that motorbike. That's true. You get a hint of a lot of cars actually hiding behind glass. Not for long. You brought it up, but there's a moment in this game. You brought it up with the stairwell. That yeah. was... <laughs> we all took the stairs, right? None of us took I the mean, elevator? of course. Yeah. Okay, good. That was... I can't believe that that was in a, a AAA $90 video game that I had to walk up. It was like, what, 65 flights of stairs or something? Something like that. And you I think it was 64. And you actually had to do it, and your character got progressively tired as you were going up, and you just kept going. I loved it every was, minute of it. Me too. I was... The banter was next yeah. level. I was dying through the whole thing. I just was like, I can't believe this is real. This is... this Video games are so cool that this is something that can actually be engaging. And even I'm though, definitely taking the elevator on hard mode just to see what happens that way. And even though the music throughout this section is supposed to represent your kind of declining physical states as you're climbing up the stairs, I like the music quite a bit too. Just everything about it is it's one of the like the prime examples of just how charming this game is. Barrett is at his best during this section. Yeah, for sure just bitching and complaining the whole time i loved it uh i was also a huge fan of the i was gonna say museum displays but i don't really know if that's the correct term i liked all of the stuff once you got into shinra's hq proper and you were being guided around the history of the corporation there's uh, it's been pointed out there's a reference to final fantasy 10 in one of the displays there's a character there that closely resembles a character from final fantasy 10 2 that is basically speculated to have started up the Shinra Corporation. It's a long story. I also can liked... I can I can I yeah. admit to something here? Yeah, go ahead. I ran through that entire thing and didn't listen to a goddamn word they said. That I mean, at the end of the day, you're allowed to live your life how you want to live your life. But man, I enjoyed those video presentations so much, <laughs> even though they are were so just like goofy of like. Hello, everybody. My name is uh, Shinra Shally, or whatever. And today sounds like the start of one of your cozy directs. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> today we're going to be talking about the history of Shinra. We strive for a better future together. Like all that stuff, I sucked it up. Yeah, it was great. No, and I, the... I feel. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say when, like I said, when I go through on hard mode, I'm going to stop and smell the roses at all of this stuff and just soak it all in, since I'm going to skip all the side missions. Yeah, looking forward to it definitely do because <laughs> there is a lot of weird fun stuff in this section uh alex you enjoy mm -hmm. it i mean yeah i did i love seeing sort of like what this evil corporation's front-facing 
aspect is. I thought it was just some really good. Um, it added some more depth to the to it instead of them just being we're evil for the sake of being evil. It like it felt like it it added a third dimension to what Shinra was all about. I, I, I kind of wish we'd gotten it earlier in the game. Yeah, but I also understand with this being what the first tenth of the original game, maybe like that you would have gotten hours, that con. Yeah. Yeah, you would have gotten that context really early, which is fine. But here it took 35 hours for me to get to it, which is kind of nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of like setting up things for the future, because obviously many of these Shinra individuals are going to be around for the long haul throughout the rest of this series. Not um, all of them. Not all of them, but uh, a fair few of them. Uh, I do want to comment... I, I just want to say in general, I feel like whenever video games feature museums or like funky display exhibits, it's generally really entertaining. A bit of a tangent, but I really liked all the stuff in Bioshock Infinite where you get to learn about the Battle of Wounded Knee, for example, if you guys remember that. Oh, segment. yeah. Yeah. A, a little bit dark and kind of racist for reasons we won't get into, but uh, like both that section, this section, I'm like, man, more video games should feature museum exhibits. It's, it's funny you mentioned Bioshock because I was actually talking with my sister earlier today. She's like, I really enjoyed when I watched, like she watched me play through Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite in their entirety. She's like, this is really cinematic. I really enjoyed it. It was like watching a movie. She's like, if you're going to do this Twitch thing, you should do those. I'm just like, that's not a bad idea. It has nothing to do with this conversation, but I thought I'd bring it up. So after all this, uh, we get to eavesdrop a little bit on the heads of the Shinra Corporation. And finally, at long last, we manage to catch up with Professor Hojo, and we meet up with Aerith, we are reunited with Aerith, and we learn the meaning of the Whispers, which have been beguiling but occasionally helping us throughout the entire game. We learn that basically they are the providence of the planet manifested in physical form and that they exist to kind of keep Final Fantasy VII the world that you're experiencing on track with how it was originally represented in the original game it's based off of. See, that's not the that's not the sense I got from it. It's that they were there to like every creature has a predetermined fate and whenever you try to go against what you were fated to encounter, they would intervene. So like spoilers for a little while ahead, but Sephiroth kills Daddy Shinra and Barrett and the whispers bring Barrett back because they're like, oh, this was not Barrett's time to die. Yeah. So that that was the interpretation I got from it. Not that they were trying to maintain the lore of the original game. Well, essentially, that's what the whole that everyone has a predetermined destiny was. I think what Cozy's saying is like dead on is that the the <laughs> predetermined destiny is what Final Fantasy VII is, and they're trying to keep that going, and then spoilers to the end of the game even though this is a spoiler cast i don't know why i said that um yeah, that destiny spoilers is, if you got to this point and haven't finished the game yet yeah destiny is broken and now anything can happen is kind yeah. of yeah so i think what cozy was saying that's was what i got from that final encounter yeah yeah mm. i i think so he was like, just he cozy was just a little bit more meta in the way he was describing it yeah i didn't think of it in the meta sense i just thought of it in the sense of how it was explained in the game i guess You'd have to imagine that Tetsuya Nomura and the writers of this game are probably going to be questioned about this at some point. I'm really curious, like, what they perceive the Whispers as being. Do they perceive the Whispers as being representative specifically of 
hardcore fans of Final Fantasy VII who want, wanted this remake to follow the events of the original game to a T? Or do they view the Whispers like in a more general sense as like just the notion of whether or not you should have a remake of a game follow closely to its original or whether it should be free to kind of break free of those constraints like do they attribute it to a specific person or do they attribute it to like a sentiment i will say that the twitch chat got it right these are not whispers these are plot ghosts i mean that's not a bad name actually <laughs> that's what i'm going with from this point forward thanks for that one uh also i forgot to mention that in the midst of all this we got to meet up with good old red 13 which i am stunned by how quickly red 13 gels with the rest of the crew i thought when we, we encountered him like huh this is really late into this game that we're being introduced to this character but literally half an hour in i'm like like i can't imagine this game before red 13 joined our cast like he fits in perfectly <laughs> it well i mean it's funny too thinking back to okay this if this was six hours in the original game you're meeting this character five five and a half hours into it that seems about right to introduce a new cast member yeah 35 hours in it feels a little out of place but I still appreciate the character, and I oh, cannot yeah. wait to see what they do in the sequel. Yeah, this was one of the m another moment. This I, I mentioned this as well on the proper show of moments where the fantasy of Final Fantasy and the but like and the sci-fi elements of of um, Final Fantasy VII in particular, where it feels like they clash against each other a little bit. Where Red yeah. Thirteen, I was a little just slightly very confused Our, by his presence, just the fact hold that. On. Go ahead. T to you, is Red 13 on the fantasy side of the spectrum I think or on the sci-fi side? Fantasy. And that's okay. where I think it clashes with the rest of the game. I liked his character a lot, and I liked everything that he added to the the story and the, the plot. And just his character, like how you said, how he gels with the rest of the crew. It was just a little hard for me to get over the fact that, oh, now there's a talking cat with the crew. Okay. I guess I got to accept that now. I don't know. It was just another thing that was like, it was another fantasy element that just kind of felt weird to me at first. And this is coming from somebody we, who had no experience with Final Fantasy VII. We also skimmed past the most anime fight in the entire game. And that's when you fight Shinra's son. No, we haven't gotten there yet. Oh, we haven't gotten there yet? No, okay, I'm getting, that's it's, it's, it's late. It's I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, it's all right. I just want to talk about that when we get to it. Yes, for sure. Uh, so yeah, uh, Red 13 joins the party. We journey into the depths of Hojo's labs inside Shinra HQ. We have a brief encounter with Sephiroth. We briefly get to see Genova. Eventually, we descend to the top of the Shinra building. Uh, Sephiroth kills uh, the president of the company. Also sort of kills Barrett, but he gets revived by the plot ghosts. Plot and, ghosts! Uh, we have a dual confrontation with both a Genova Dreamweaver, which is my favorite website that I use to create uh, websites with. <laughs> and, of course, uh, Shinra's son, Rufus. So the fight with Genova, I genuinely thought was the last fight. Like, it feels like the final boss of the game. I was totally expecting it to be over by that point. And when it's like, oh, it's still going, I was just kind of, I was kind of more amazed than anything. That's just... I was just very glad the game wasn't ending. Yeah. I just wanted... That's, even when the game ends, I don't want it to end. I just want to play more of this game. I want to experience more of this world. I don't want it to end. But um, I when, don't want it to be 10 years until the next game. It was when Barrett got stabbed, and I genuinely thought that, oh, 
is is he gonna die? I was fully convinced he was gonna die because I thought my jaw hit the floor. I heard at that point. because at that point I, it's like I didn't know what the ending was, and I heard that there were a lot of people who liked Final Fantasy VII had problems with the ending, and so I was like, oh, are they interchanging the big spoiler to have it be a different character to try to surprise those those people who are aware of Final Fantasy VII? And so I was genuinely convinced, like, oh fuck, Barrett's dead, and it was really emotional when it happened. And that's why I felt like this was the, f- that's why I think the weight of everything, that's why it felt like, oh, this is the final boss. You're going to beat Sephiroth after this. And I was very wrong. So I, I will say going back to, you know, Biggs and Jesse's untimely ends. And then this one, this one hit me the hardest and not because of Barrett, but because of Marlene. Oh yeah. As soon as this happens, I just think, oh God. Like, what's going to happen with this kid? And, like, she just lost her home. Now she's lost her dad. And I'm even getting emotional now. It's like, oh, man. that I don't know why it hit me, but it hit me real, real hard. And I was so glad when the plot ghost intervened. Uh, earlier, you were bringing up the fight with Rufus Shinra. Oh, my God. That fight with Rufus is so anime. Yes. And I loved every minute of it. I loved his shotgun and the way that he was like throwing, like he was throwing things in the air and shooting them and it was reflecting the bullets. The coins or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was coins and they, they were reflecting the bullets down at you. It was so cool. And I loved, I was eating up every second of it. Well, and this was the first fight where I felt like, okay, I had counter stance at that point from the, the, um, twin whatever weapon it's called Mm -hmm. and i felt like this was the first time i'm like okay i need to use specific tactics to beat this boss or i will die and it was one of those things where i didn't know what to do right off the bat i figured out the pattern i learned like this was the first fight that made me feel like i was a tactician in this game and not spamming buttons Mm. and attacks and abilities this was the first one where i had to think and i really really appreciated it yeah, so my experience with this boss battle is very similar to yours. Uh, I am curious, if you analyze uh, Rufus Shinra, apparently it states that while he's briefly incapacitated, if you use a certain move on him, it immediately fills up his stagger gauge. Did you guys figure out what move it is? Or, well, did you look it up? Because no. I, I didn't use assess against him, but I definitely that. will in subsequent playthroughs. Gonna need it. Yeah, because I, I, I ended up just sort of like chip damaging him until he had zero HP left. And it was still satisfying, uh, make no mistake, but I kind of wish I had figured out what his magic weakness was. I think I figured it. I think I was able to get the stagger up a couple of times, but I never figured out exactly which move did it. Hmm. But I at least figured out the pattern in terms of getting around some of his attacks and countering them and what to dodge versus what to counter and things like that. I found a way to just completely cheese it. I'm not going to lie. Of course you did. Um, so when I had the triple slash ability, and basically you just need to build it up once, and then once you get triple slash, you can do it on the his, his uh, animal partner for the first part of the fight, and you just do it. Then you uh, then you go into the Punisher mode and you build it up again. Then you just keep spamming it over and over again, and the animal can't do anything to react, and you can kill the animal really quickly. I, I can't remember what it was uh, called. Black I'm sorry. hole, black zero. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Either way, you I'll just find it. You just spam triple slash on it, and then eventually when you, and then you can do the same strategy to him, and it staggers him just enough so you can build up the meter again, and then do it again and again and again until he's dead. So that was hmm. my strategy. Well, that's lame. 
Yeah, I had fun. As long as you had fun with it, who cares? Uh, so anyways, after you defeat him, uh, you have one final little motorcycle chase, which uh, I want to say right here, I was really annoyed by the boss battle that caps out that motorcycle chase at first. But once I kind of got his attack patterns down, I actually found it kind of an enjoyable fight. I don't know about you guys. So the one, first of all, the dog is named Dark Star, which I got appreciate it. very much. That's so, and we yeah. skipped over the whole, um, didn't we, did we skip over the whole bit with Aerith and Barrett fighting the That's Arsenal? right. Which is oh, actually, God. I hated uh, yeah, moment of I, that. I loved that fight. I was going to say, I actually really enjoyed that fight too. I got. I just I, enjoyed the tactics of it. It's part of my thing of I just didn't like playing as Barrett, and so being forced to. Yeah. It's like I felt like I was just doing nothing to it, and it took way longer than it probably should have. I don't know. I just really Again, didn't if, like that part. If you would unlock, like I meticulously unlocked as many weapon skills as I could at that point, so just having access to maximum fury in that fight was clutch. Fair enough. I, I understand part of the part of the flaws on me in the way that I went through the game and not really trying to give a shit about Barrett specifically, or at least playing as. And that, well, that's the problem is if you got to this point neglecting Barrett, you would get to this fight and it would just be a slog. Yeah, it just it was For more sure. than it was less that it was difficult. It just took forever to actually Fair. kill it because he does no he didn't do any damage in my playthrough. Uh, yeah. So, skipping ahead to the motorcycle chase scene, like I said, I didn't abs uh, absolutely love the boss battle that capped it out at first, but I kind of grew to gradually like it towards the end. Uh, I didn't realize at first that like the more you damage it, the higher its susceptibility to being hurt was raised, which made yeah. the boss battle progressively easier over time. I thought it was going to take literally forever until I realized, oh no, it's actually speeding up the longer I go. Mm -hmm. which obviously is much appreciated. Uh, and yeah, then after that, we are in the final phase of the game. Uh, the crew head into a singularity in which they battle a kind of congregation of the plot ghosts uh, that have become one singular being and a bunch of smaller subordinate beatings, uh, beings. Uh, and then after that, they have one final confrontation with Sephiroth, which splits reality into multiple timelines and casts him off on an unknown adventure into an unknown future. Uh, where do we want to start? I think... Uh, I want the sequel so bad and I want it yesterday. Oh, yeah. Uh, I need to know where this goes, goddammit. I, I think I want to... Just like the, the boss fight with the ghosts was actually... I thought was super super enjoyable the way that it kind of like it starts and then you got to move and like you're constantly changing the location of where the boss fight is taking place and just the whole everything about the environment that you're in and how it's like this weird like distorted reality of like there's floating highways and stuff like that it just overall the aesthetic of it all was super super cool I like too how they gradually introduce other characters to your party as the fight progresses and yes. the big question I have for you guys is who was your final party? Who was oh, it? So I actually, Who joined you? I wanted to bring that up is I finding out that uh, it was different, that it could be different yeah. uh, each time. Because when I played through it the first time, I got up to Sephiroth. And for some reason, it was like two in the morning. And I was like having a really hard time with Sephiroth. This was also when I first learned to, to parry. 
as well. Um, 30 hours into the game, you learn one of the core mechanics you learn in the first level. Yeah, man. Yeah, I just imagine how I was going through the rest of the game. Um, it wouldn't have been 30 hours. Yeah, but so I just like, at a certain point, I was like, I can't do this. I tried it like twice, and I'm like, fuck this. And so I stopped, and I was like, <laughs> okay, so now I know that Cloud, Tifa, and Barrett are going to be my party. And so I changed all of the, like, because when you can change up your your materia and so i changed up all my materia to like really like max them out and like have them be like like just i i focused on them specifically and then Aerith showed up (laughs) and i got really upset because i'm like what the fuck i didn't know that this was different um and so Aerith had like maybe half of her materia missing and so i i beat it first try though with that party but i was like holy shit that's really really cool that it actually is different and somebody who plays the game only once is not gonna know that but it doesn't feel like that it doesn't feel like you're missing anything because of that and i thought that was just it was such a cool attention to detail and the way that i discovered it i thought was a very humorous yeah so i went into that fight and i prepped for cloud barrett tifa where barrett was my healer and then Aerith showed up and not Barrett, and she had nothing equipped. I'm just like, well, I'm fucked. <laughs> so I re I restarted that fight from the checkpoint and you know fixed the materia setup that I had. And yeah, it ended up. I was actually surprised because I felt like I used Barrett a lot more through the story, but I guess I interacted with Tifa and Aerith more, and that's what ended up being my final party. Is that what determines it, or is it just? I think random? it was. I, no, I think it was some of the some of the choices you made. I was reading about this. It's some of the choices you make dialogue wise or when you have the chance to talk to either barrett cloud or 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 barrett Aerith, or tifa that that influences it as well so i guess just the attention to detail i was playing towards like some of the cutscene choices or the the dialogue choices around tifa and Aerith. that's it ended up choosing the two of them as my party for that final encounter Mm. which i thought was kind of interesting i really liked the way that that played out Mm -hmm. yeah in my case it was barrett and tifa i actually didn't realize that which party members you could be stuck with could change depending on uh the dialogue choices that you made throughout the game until i watched someone else's playthrough of the final boss battle after i beat it and saw that they were teamed up with Aerith early on um you know i i really enjoyed this final boss battle i will say though like I'd say that probably the single biggest issue that I have with this game, and I know this is not an issue that is unique to me, is that the fight, the final battle that you have with Sephiroth doesn't really mean a whole lot because Sephiroth just isn't really well presented and built up throughout the entire game leading up to that battle. And so when you finally do confront him, it's like, well, I don't really know what his significance is or why it really matters that cloud is so opposed to him or what exactly his connection is with the whispers so and i feel like it's not hitting as hard as it should be hitting even though it is still a really epic showdown yeah like i mean we know that this will continue into the next what do we want to say four games in this series which Mm -hmm. i'm so ready for more of this franchise more of this story more of these characters and you know that subsequent encounters with Sephiroth are going to be balls-to-the-wall craziness the way that this was. And yeah. I cannot wait. Yeah. No, seriously, like, Square Enix, get a hold of me. Whether it's playtesting or flying out to Japan to, to look at this game hands-on, give feedback. Like, this is legitimately one of my... 
I didn't expect to say this, but this is one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah, and I'm not, a, I'm not really an RPG guy outside of Pokemon. And yeah. without a doubt, this is one of my favorite games of all time. I need to invest uh, some more hours in it, but yeah, it's really, really high up there for me as well, and I'm looking forward to continuing to play more of it, gripes aside. Uh, Alex, like, I'm curious, like, where do you kind of stand on a lot of the kind of Sephiroth stuff in the final battle? So, as we mentioned before, the soundtrack is incredible, and Sephiroth's theme is is really fucking cool. Oh it's yeah. It's so good. Menacing and it's it builds up this atmosphere and this tone and you feel like shit is about to go down every time he appears, especially when he appears really early in the game and you hear that soundtrack or you hear that track. It's so good. I just wanted to highlight well, that. Well, you and you hear it like muffled because it's part of these visions that Cloud is having, but yeah. when you finally get to this encounter and you it you feel the build of the track and then it just hits. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Like I I have goosebumps now. Yeah. thinking about this yeah though and it's just a goddamn song yeah though it yeah like you said he's not very well it's not that he's not well established but i feel like they're they're saving a lot of what sephiroth is all about in the sequels i i learned a little bit more about it just for my uh attempting to try to understand the ending of this game i learned a lot more about sephiroth and who, why he is, like what his whole deal is. Um, but I think the way that it's presented in this game is it's cool, but it leaves a lot to be desired. Um, the final boss fight was really, really interesting. And I did like the final cutscene of the, the fight where cl- it's just Cloud and him, and he's trying to get Cloud to join him. And he has that one line where it's like, you've got seven seconds uh, I can't remember exactly what the whole quote is, but I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it you was literally just, have until he finishes counting down, or he will annihilate you and your entire party, and it's game over. Yeah, but he's which is insane. Yeah, he says something like, "You've got seven seconds, make it count," or something, and it's so ominous and really cool. In like the edgy, like in the edgy fourteen-year-old in me is like screaming, like, "Oh, Sephiroth is so cool!" And so I'm just really excited to learn more about him and see how it's properly presented instead of me just hearing it from YouTube videos. Yeah, and I'm going to do my best, like saying this is one of my favorite games of all time. I will not spoil this experience for myself. I will wait until all of these games have come out until we've hit the end, the climax of what final fantasy seven remake will be, whether it is final fantasy remake two or final fantasy remake seven, I will wait. And like, I, I don't want to go and read all of the side stories and the novels and the movie and the the side games like crisis core and things like that that came out to add to the lore of final fantasy 7 i want to experience this series this final fantasy 7 remake series as best i can without spoiling myself and will then go and just consume everything i can but for now i know i can i can be strong enough to not spoil that stuff for me and just wait for the sequels because i know if they deliver this experience i trust them to deliver the rest of it with the same level of quality and polish. It's funny. Go ahead. Okay. I just want to say quickly, it's funny you mentioned novels because prior to playing this game, I was aware of uh, Crisis Core. I was aware of Advent Children and Dirge of Cerberus and a lot of the other Final Fantasy VII spinoffs. I was not aware that there are like multiple novels that have been written that are part of the 
compendium of Final Fantasy VII as well. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. Including one that's like Aerith after she dies, basically spoilers. as a, a ghost. Uh, well, we don't know that it's spoilers anymore, given how the we know what the original been. Final Fantasy remake is. But now with time and fate being destroyed by just dis- man, I, I I love how weird this game gets. And they've set it up that you don't know what's coming next. And that, to me, is the most exciting part of it because now the internet can't spoil what's going to come next. They can try, but it's not going to be exactly what we're expecting. That's one I'm of my, so yeah. ready for. That's one of my favorite things about this the ending of this game in particular. The way that they have it with the, the text appearing on the screen, the unknown journey will continue. That just says everything that they need to say with without like spelling it out for everyone that it's like yeah shit's changed now and you don't know what's coming next and that's it is a big really middle insane. finger to internet trolls essentially yeah, right I'm, like it is saying no you have no idea what's coming and you can do whatever you want to try to spoil it you have but no that's power here. that's not the universe we live in for this branching timeline of final fantasy 7 remake and god i'm not here for this and i uh, oh go, go ahead. ahead oh i was gonna say and i just feel like with that this has kind of changed how I I really hope that this has changed how people will approach remakes in the future. That I with I mean with remakes you don't need to just make the same thing again but make it look pretty. You can I I like the idea of doing something having creative liberties while still being while still having the original be there. I don't know. I'm just it makes me excited for what this could mean for the games industry as a whole if this game was very successful that maybe some people might take notes. Yeah. This game has redefined what a remake is in that it pays homage to the original, but is going to write its own destiny. Hmm. I, um, I, I forgot. Oh, hold on a second. I didn't forget. <laughs> uh, I just want to say in the chat, raging plum. Thank you. Raging plum for commenting on our thoughts on the game this entire time. We really shout outs to everyone presence. that hangs out with us in chat. Yeah. Um, You're all beautiful and I love you. Raging Plum was saying how maybe the subtitles of the next few games in the series could be Rebirth and Reunion because Reunion is a common motif involving Sephiroth and his agents throughout. Also the idea of family and reuniting because at the end of this, Barrett goes off without his kid and we don't know the next time he's going to see her. Like it, It is this thing of, you know, people being separated. Even in this game, we have instances where party members are separated and coming back together. It is a theme throughout this game and is likely to be a theme throughout this final fantasy seven remake series, which I'm guessing is just going to continue in parallel with the core final fantasy games. Like we'll have a final fantasy team and a final fantasy seven remake team and they'll release stuff and it'll be fine. And I'm only going to play these. Uh, I don't need the other games. Just give me more final fantasy seven. God damn it. One last uh, thing that I wanted to mention before I, uh, ask you guys what else you wanted to just bring up before we close up the show. Uh, did you have any? What were your? Where did you guys stand on the Zach Fair stuff? Very Fair, confusing. Yeah, I have no idea um, what's going on there, and I'm going to remain confused until the sequel explains it to me. He, he's the. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to keep this as spoiler light as possible because you know that you guys don't want to spoil. I understand it now, but like, yeah, I do not, and it, I do not spoiler, want to keep it spoiler free just, for Mitch. Yeah, he's, just, no, you know what? Just just signal me when I can come back. Headphones are coming off. 
I, I mean, I'm, I'm really right. not. What I'm about to say is really not that spoilery. You don't need to protect yourself that much. Do you want to? No, nah, just, just like say what. Just him. say whatever, and then and then we can tell him to come back. Well, he's really. Mitch is really not listening to what we're uh, gonna say. You know what? I really don't like Mitch's hat. Don't you agree, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Just that dopey little hat. Yeah. yeah. That's right, Mitch. We don't like your hat very much. All right. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean... He's never going to hear this in this situation. Zach Fair, he is the protagonist of the uh, PSP um, prequel to Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core uh, and ties in heavily to Cloud's backstory. I saw some people on social media talking about how, you know, hey, this is kind of confusing if you're not familiar with the mythos of Final Fantasy VII at large. I mean, I don't disagree, I still think it was kind of neat that we got to see him again, and I'm interested to see how the if the sequels will do anything involving him. Yeah, the implications of what it means for him are really interesting. As somebody who has just learned everything, because like when the game was concluded, I was like, "What? Why was that guy dressed like Cloud? I don't understand this." I really wanted to at least have a base understanding, and so. I'm really the implications of what the deal with him are super exciting, and I can't wait to see what they do in these sequels. All right, uh, how do we motion to Mitch to tell him to come back? There we go. We are uh, done. So, how much shit did, did you talk about me, knowing that I wasn't going to be listening? Oh, quite a bit, actually. That's what I expected, because you know I won't go back and listen to this episode either. Yeah, just because yeah. I don't want to spoil whatever yeah. it is what you guys are. I don't talking even about. think we we really spoiled anything about. We actually don't didn't, care. I don't want to know anything what? until Namora wants me to know it. Okay. So, like, what are the chances that when you complete this entire series, you're going to go back and listen to this three minute segment from this episode and finally see what we were talking about? I'd put it at about a ninety five percent chance that I do that. Wow, that's giving yourself a lot of credit. I'm I'm pretty petty when it comes to these kind of things. Uh, what if you come back and it's like, of the three minutes, two minutes and 30 seconds is us talking about how we hate your hat. And in how the year, can you hate a hat? It, in, it's a Toronto Rock hat. But Gotta support on. Canadian sports. Lacrosse, come on. By this point in time, it's going to be your, the year like 2027 and hats have been outlawed by the alien species that has come and take over the earth you think like, all these games are uh, going to come out in seven years i haven't heard the n the name hat in years oh man this is such a throwback you know there's no way in hell that the rest of these games are coming out in the next seven years right i mean they've said that they want to put them out faster faster but th it's still going to take them 15 years to release these games i mean they've done a lot of the heavy lifting with this game and so let's hope that but, I mean, it depends on how much they want to change between game to game. But I really hope that we do start to see a slightly faster release schedule. Cozy, mm -hmm. when did the PlayStation 4 release? 2013. Uh, 2013. How many core Final Fantasy games are on the PlayStation 4? I mean, two? Well, it was two plus Kingdom Hearts 3 because... See, the, the problem, Mitch, is that I, I'm sure that someone in the chat is going to be like, well, actually, if you factor in all these games, there's actually like a million... Core games. Core games. There's 14 and there's 15, and that's all I... I mean, do we want to also count the remakes yeah, of yeah, Final Fantasy X well. and 10 2 
We don't know that those were do, the same do we teams. Want to count for the Final the... Fantasy, do we want to count the Kingdom Hearts DLC that got released earlier this year as its own standalone The VR game? DLC that I still have to play? Also, what about Kingdom Hearts VR? Do we want to count that one as well? The 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 point I'm getting at is in Isn't terms of... Isn't there also like a full, fishing full... game for Final Fantasy 15? Do we want to count that as well? That was a mini game they pulled out of the core game, I think. Also, did okay. they basically remake the whole game for 15 because 15 sucked when it first came out? Again, there have not been a, a lot of core games that have come out in the Final Fantasy series over the last seven years. I do not think they will complete this Final Fantasy VII remake series in the next seven years. That's all I was trying to say. And you are going to make this the longest episode of Press YYZ we've ever recorded because you were I... talking about fishing and virtual reality. And hats. And hats. Can't forget hats. Yeah, Alex think... is the only one left out of this, you know, hat jam. Uh, I don't know. He might have been actually an intricate part of it. Anyways, before we sign I mean, off, in terms night, of the fact you're wearing a hat and I'm wearing a hat, but okay. Before we sign off for the night, do either of you have anything else that you want to bring up about this game? I love it. Give me more. One hundred percent. I can't wait for the sequel, but I'm content with my one playthrough with it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm really curious to see how they kind of expand upon the gameplay systems uh, of this game in the subsequent series games in this series because you know previously before uh -oh. completing this game as you know oh he's back uh this, the stream appears to be uh possibly on the fritz but we're still live uh on discord yeah just your audio cut out for us for a second or two oh okay um Okay. One one thing I do want to say is there's only one game that I've gone back to after I've platinum it and played more of it, and that's Spider-Man, which is top three favorite games of all time. This is another game that I'm probably going to end up going back and just wanting to play through the story maybe every other year just wow. to experience it, whether it's on classic mode or easy, just to, just to take in the story elements of it. I want more of this, and I'll do it before the sequel comes out. I'll... I'll play through every sequel leading up to the release of subsequent sequels. This is without a doubt my game of the year. One of my favorite games on the PlayStation four and one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, I wanted Very to say before I got cut out, cause when I was cut out, I actually didn't fully get through what I was trying to say. Um, Earlier, as you know, before completing this game, I completed Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and I enjoyed that game quite a bit, but I kind of came out of it being like, this feels like a really good test run for a formula that will be really improved upon with its subsequent sequels. This game feels like, wow, they really, IMO, nailed it on the first go, and so I'm serious. That's because Kingdom Hearts 3 was the test run. I, I mean, I guess that's... Again, I, I don't like people <laughs> ragging on Kingdom Hearts 3, but you're not entirely wrong. You are not No, I actually wrong. do want to go back and play through Kingdom Hearts 3 again. I, I'm kind of curious what the trophy list looks like. It may be one that I get back to while we're in quarantine, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Once I finish up with Final Fantasy 7, I'm just going to want more of this kind of experience. And it, it was a good game. I really liked Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah. I love Disney. I talk about it all the time. I'm wearing a Walt Disney Pictures t-shirt. So it, it means a lot to me. More like so Kingdom I, I, Farts. Well, fuck you too. And with that, Cozy, I think you're good to wrap it up. All right, then. Well, uh, if you want to follow Press YYZ on Twitter, you can find us at twitter.com slash Press YYZ. Uh, we recently surpassed 100 followers, and I'd imagine that we're probably well on our way to 1,000 over the next couple of, you know, 
years or decades. We'll see about that. Thank you to everybody. This was just us yeah, in our basements wanting all, to have a good know, time. All like, you know, Did, cynicism aside, thank you very much for helping us reach 100 followers. Yeah, it's it, it's not something I could have ever imagined something I do having people care about in this way, even if it is a small group. And I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you. And if you haven't followed yet, you better. That's not a threat. This is a promise. Also, we're live every week, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. on twitch.tv slash pressyyz, recording this show. Yes. Yeah. And of course, so follow can... there as well. We're, we're well on our way to affiliate status, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, of course, you can find myself on Twitter as well uh, at Alex Cozina. And I'm on Twitter at blatantly underscore Alex and on Instagram as well at blatantly Alex. Twitter, Instagram, PSN, wherever you may find me at Mr. Mitch George. All right. And without further ado, we'll be signing off. Thank you. Until the sequel. Yeah, until the sequel, of course. And our next episode of Press YYZ, which will be debuting Wednesday evening. Thank you and good night. Ciao. Bye.